welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 268 and my entire conversation with recent PASIC 2021 presenter, an associate professor of percussion at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Juan Alamo. First up, PASIC 2021 review, part one of uh, lots. Hopefully, you were able to attend PASIC this weekend, either in person or virtually, through many sessions that were occurring there. I have to say that this was up there at the top of my list of favorite PASICs that I've ever attended. And I think that it simply pertains to the fact that we all missed each other, and it was wonderful to be back in person. I very much appreciate all of the safeguards that were a part of the conference. All attendees had to upload either their proof of vaccination or a recent negative test to an app on their phone, which allowed them to get clearance to enter all events. The PASIC volunteers were at all doors, both taking attendance and holding signs requesting folks to mask up before entering clinic areas. That was it. For the most part, everyone was masked which comes as very little surprise to me, at least, since so many of us have been doing so to teach and perform over the past 20 months or so. That comfort level, I think, made everyone relax and enjoy their PASIC. There were definitely portions where folks were not masked, including an end-of-the-conference hangout that I attended, but otherwise, precautions were kept throughout, and that made for a better experience. I'll have a more specific rave about PASIC to finish this episode, which I'll save till the end so that we can get to today's guest, Juan Alamo. Juan is in his ninth year teaching at UNC Chapel Hill and is having a great deal of success there. He covers all things percussion, along with his teaching of other classes within School of Music. He's also active as a performer, playing with his own Latin jazz group that he plays lead for, and on marimba, not on vibraphone. It's through his experiences there that he was presenting his clinic on developing improvisation for the classical percussionist and making it pertain specifically to marimba. I have to admit here that unfortunately, I was triple booked with other events that were going on at the same time as his clinic. It's a very basic thing, so I was unable to see any of it. I heard great things about it, though I'm very sorry that I was unable to make it. But now, I'm going to share my whole interview that I did with him prior to PASIC. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on October 25th, 2021, and it begins right now. So Juan... Tell me what you are presenting at PASIC this year. Sharing strategies for integrating theory, technique, musicianship. That's a little bit of improvisation into mala studies. And marimba is going to be kind of the main instrument, but the, the, the information that I'll be sharing could be transferred to any uh, mallet keyboard instrument. So that's kind of the general overview. You know, basically the idea is, to, is, is how to uh, use like core voicings to practice permutations instead of using open fifth or octaves or thirds, which is what we typically do. And it's fine. It's great that we, we all need to do that. But if we have to play a tune, you know, that's not going to be enough to be able to play the tune. 
whether you're trying to make an accompaniment or try to do a solo. So the idea is just to use the simple voicings and then kind of use that. Uh, and then um, you can practice your typical permutations, you know, double laterals, double verticals, all the different movements that we use on, on, on a keyboard instrument. But then also uh, uh, how, you know, I will be kind of demonstrating how can you use either rhythms from, from the percussion repertoire, I mean, percussion from the marimba repertoire uh, with those voicings. So you could do that when you're comping for someone in a given tune, or how can you use rhythms that you use on the drum set or any other, you know, hand drumming instrument, apply, the, apply that to the marimba with these voicings, and then you can create some cool accompaniments. So that's kind of the, the, the part of what I'll be talking about. And then maybe some stuff as to how could, how can you do some simple uh, solo marimba arrangements using those voicings and and again the idea is sort of blending the traditional marimba repertoire with with the theory and harmony that you learn in, in your theory classes. It's not a jazz approach to it though there will be some of it, but it's primarily catered towards classical marimba players who sometimes might be a little bit. Uh, reluctant to either improvise or to pick a tune and try to create a basic accompaniment because they feel like, oof, if, if it's not written on the page, I don't know what to do. In, in, and in reality, we know what to do. We just haven't taken the time to kind of develop those skills. The information is there. It's just a matter of integrating it and connecting it. And that's kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts of the, of the presentation. What spurred you on to put these aspects together for this presentation? What was, how did that tend to happen on your so, end? So, well, I mean, it's, it's I, I, I always joke with my students and friends that I should subtitle that Confessions of a Marimba Player because <laughs> yeah. uh, a lot of it was motivated by my personal experience going all the way back to when I was finished my undergraduate studies. I started doing recitals around uh, the island. I'm from Puerto Rico. So, mm -hmm. so I, did see the, I, I allowed, can see the flag behind you. So I, I yeah, did. I can see the flag yeah. on the back. So I, I started to do recitals right before I moved to the States and I would go to different towns. And, you know, I will play all this kind of uh, uh, standard marimba repertoire, but I, I, but I also wanted to play some popular tunes so people could connect to it and uh, try to blend that. So I took the, I took the instrument home and then... Um, it so happened that one day one of my aunts comes back and say, oh, it's my daughter's birthday. Can you play happy birthday for her? And I said, well, if you give me the music, I might be able to, or if you give me a couple of days, but not on the spot. But it then, it, it, so, so it done on me, wait a minute, I'm playing all this music and I have all these chops, but I cannot do something that my grandfather, by the way, who didn't know any theory, harmony or anything, could pick a guitar and say, just in what key you want it. Right. <laughs> and play it. And, and I was like, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. I should be able to do this because I have the tools. I just haven't taken the time to integrate that information and to build the skills. So that was the first thing. Then the second thing is when I when I moved to North Texas, I was able to get into the jazz uh, department. And while I was doing my classical studies, I was also pursuing uh, also some classes on the jazz uh, area. So I started to kind of to integrate for lack of a better term, since that's the title of the, of the class, that information, you know, opportunities started to arrive in which I would get called to play at a restaurant or to play at a private event or something. And of course, in those situations, you cannot go there and play marimba spiritual 
or uh, or or variations of Lost Love, not because they're not great pieces. It's just that's not what the music that people want to hear. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, okay, and uh, I have to be able to play tunes that people can recognize, and I have to be able to play a lot of tunes, so I don't have the time to kind of memorize them. I have to build a system that I could take a lead sheet and then pretty much improvise or make up an accompaniment that I can support a singer or or like a simple um, solo marimba arrangement. So that's kind of the the, the, the nature of why I, I I'm doing this. And then bottom line, I think it's, it's an important way to learn to to build your kind of your personality and identity with the instrument. I think ultimately the goal of every musician is to kind of share what you have to say artistically. And I think being able to use music as a, you know, as a platform that you could share your thoughts, emotions, and ideas. What a what better way than just using the theory and the technique that you have learned, but in a spontaneous, creative way. Um, not to say, again, I don't want to come across as, uh, as, as someone that don't believe that uh, interpreting music or learning music is not important quite the opposite i just think there is more to it that we can do with the information that we have learned through the years and so that's kind of uh where i'm coming from if that makes any sort of sense completely focusing on your presentation you've created some type of systematic approach to start create start allowing people to really flourish in this type of way yeah, I mean, and this is what I'll be presenting is our episodes from an upcoming book that I'm writing and also exercises and handouts that I've been writing for years and I use here with my students. Uh, one thing about here at Chapel Hill is that the vast majority of my students are double majors. A, a good percentage of them are going to pursue other careers, whether it's engineering or music business. And I always joke with them and say, hey, pretty soon you're not going to have the time or the need to practice five hours a day, but you're going to have the money to have a marimba in your living room, but you won't have the time to practice. It would be great if you have the skills that you could take a tune when you invite your friends or your family over and you can just, you know, go to the instrument and play that. So that's kind of the, the other uh, objective of this. It's just... Um, help people to build skills that could, you know, expand your, your, your musical endeavors, if you will, but also give you some practical tools that you could use to create music on any situation uh, that you might encounter down the road. And then lastly, those of us who like to do recitals, you can expand your repertoire and then play something that people who are not familiar with our repertoire can connect to. Because I feel like it's always great, especially when I travel abroad and I'm playing in festivals that are not catered towards precautionists. I think it's important to be able to play something that people can connect to. I make sure that I also play something that is standard that represents our tradition, and our music, because I think I, I, I value their music and it's important. But I couple that with other things so can people, you know, assimilate, understand, and, and also, you know, uh, sit there for an hour and not feel like we're punishing them with music that is demanding both uh, to the ear and to us as, as interpreters. So that's kind of the, the background or the agenda, if you will, behind my presentation and, 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 and my ideas. That's great. It's, it's odd because it's, it's a skill that I, I don't know if you have a piano background, but it's a skill that, that I had a teacher um, early on develop for piano for me. And I could very easily just pull up um, chords and just noodle 
and be fine. And I've never thought about, I've never actually like really thought about doing it for marimba. And it's like, yeah. I probably could, <laughs> you know. I'm sure you could. I mean, I, like I said, the, 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 the irony of all of this is that we have all that information, but we tend to co to uh, compartmentalize that information. Like we learn the theory stuff and we leave that in the theory. Yeah. Very, very few people take the initiative or, or whatever word you want to use to take that to the practice room and say, oh, I'm learning about uh, Napolitan six. You know, mm -hmm. how does that sound and how does that work? I'm learning about perfect cadences. So let me play down on the, on the instrument. Oh, measure voicings, you know, so that when you see that on a, on a lead sheet that, okay, I'm ready to go. Uh, and then, you know, okay, I'm, I'm practicing my permutation. So again, instead of playing open fifth, which is fine, right. then let me now just use major voicings and learn how to play them on the instrument. So next time that I'm asked to play a tune, then I can do that because I have that that information in my hands. Yeah. It's interesting because you're it sounds like you're combining a little bit of of what would be standard like vibraphone jazz ideas as well yeah i mean there's some of that but but i'm trying purposely first because I, I i do study jazz vibes and but but i see myself primarily as a marimba player and i feel this is just my opinion mm -hmm. that the marimba and the biographer are two two totally different instruments Damn. like i want when when I, when I when i when i stand behind the biographer it's like okay give me a minute i gotta i have to change my marimba mentality right, yeah. to get used to the range to get used to the tone of the instrument to the pedaling yeah and kind of the language of the instrument because i feel like if i were to play the same tunes and this this would be one of the things that i would talk in the class mm -hmm. is if i were to play that in a quote-unquote traditional jazz setting i would probably be using different voicings and rhythms or right. more typical of a jazz vibraphone um uh, tradition yeah. But the approach of, of my approach of my 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 talk a basic is how we use the language of of the of the marimba the typical permutations that you will encounter in 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 a standard marimba repertoire and the voices that we use because of the nature of the instrument we tend to use voices in a different way but naturally there will be some connection at, at some point particularly when you start talking about improvisation there will be some you know similarities between the two. Uh, meaning the biographer and the and the and the and the marimba. I will be making emphasis in the sense that in the in the in the fact that the clinic is not uh, is not is not intended for jazz musicians, but rather for classical marimba players who often are reluctant about the idea of improvising or simply creating uh, an an accompaniment. Because if we don't see it written on the page, we don't feel like 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 we know what to do when in reality it's not the case. It's just we haven't developed the skills to connect uh, that information, as I said before. Yeah. Or the confidence to want to try yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, I guess that's the other thing, just uh, sort of overcoming that initial fear of, well, uh, what if I play a wrong note? <laughs> that's okay. You know, keep going. About the many uh, uh, benefits of doing this is, I think it helps you to build the confidence musically and, and mentally speaking to understand that 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 row notes are part of, of of what performing is all about right we want to minimize them but by learning how how uh, um, theory and harmony works that enables you to recover in a situation in which 
you might play a wrong note or you might have a memory slip and it's like, okay, but I can recover because I know the key in which I play. Because I think the only problem that I often encounter, and you, you might have a different experience, is sometimes I have a student and they will come to my office and I will ask, in what key are we? And they look at me like, what? <laughs> yeah, in what key is this piece? And, and to what other keys does, does the piece modulate? And right. how, how did that happen? Yeah. So learning, uh, taking, using a, a harmonic approach to playing the instrument and learning the instrument will enable you to expand the way you hear music and the way you learn a piece, your phrasing will be a lot stronger because you have that harmonic understanding to kind of reinforce your, your musical ideas. And then it will give you the confidence to, to finally overcome the fear of what if I play in a wrong note or what note should I play? Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is kind of the initial reaction that all of us, you know, experience early on. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, that's wonderful. You're making me think about how one of the things that uh, I'm at Mizzou, University of Missouri, and one of the our theory professor is fantastic. And one of the things he does make the students do, because I teach a section of oral skills, mm-hmm. is um, they have to find examples of what we're talking about in their private music. And it's one of those things that I don't think I ever I was like, man, I wish somebody made me do that so early on just to develop the skills so that they know that this isn't stuff that's just in a vacuum or in a book yeah some 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 kind of a punishment that we have to go right. through yes. punishment the theory classes. that's well that's how i felt i felt like yeah. i was being punished and i was looking at the clock like i could be practicing right now you know why do i have to be sitting here for 50 minutes or an hour talking about i don't know major triads or or right. or cadences or yeah. intervals or whatever you know we, i don't need that i just i just need to read the music and the rhythms and memorize them and work on yeah. my phrasing but i want to work you know i want to be playing music and memorizing big mistake i wish somebody would have stopped me and 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 introduce or present a theory from a different angle yeah. Uh, from a more practical, hands-on approach, because I think that will change entirely the way we do things and the way we think about the instrument. And in a way, that's that's also part of what I'm proposing. It's like, hey, you can look at theory in a totally different way. When you practice your scales, it's great to learn how to to develop the physical mobility to play them and to use the proper technique. That's, that's, that's a foundation, and you must build those skills. But there's another level, and that is, how can you create music with those notes? You know, how can you combine those notes? Which note is 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 more dissonant than other or more consonant? How I combine them? That that, that and those things are very simple skills that if you start working on them over time, you develop and it's like, okay, I can improvise in a very simple way and and and, and it doesn't have to be attached to uh, to any genre because we tend to think about improvisation as jazz and it's right. not the case I mean there's a ton of, of improvisation even in classical music oh yeah it's just we have label we typically tend to label and and connect to well jazz that's improvisation right. and and I, 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 that's not my thing that's not what I really want to do yeah yeah hopefully that's one of those, I think, I, I don't know if, it, if you had this encounter when, you know, you, you when you're doing maybe like music history or something and you find out that like list, you know, what's written as a cadenza was like he may have played that once. Like that was not he didn't he didn't that wasn't codified or anything. He made yeah. it all up very when he when he would get to those por- portions of songs. 
Yeah, I mean, improvisation was, I mean, we, I always tell that the greatest improviser were Bach, Mozart, mm -hmm. you know, Beethoven. Because, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, all respect to all these great class, uh, jazz musicians. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, diminish their greatness. They're amazing yeah. musicians. But, uh, I mean, it's not the same improvising on a 12-bar blues or, or a 32-bar form than improvising an entire set of variations right. on a A-bar theme or something, yeah. which takes a total different, you know, uh, set of skills. Right. Uh, and those people would do that. Or, or yeah. in, the, in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a, of a concerto, like, like you said, just improvise a cadenza. Yeah. Uh, that's a total different um, you know, conversation about improvisation, but everything is connected. We're still talking about the same twelve notes, right? Which is, which is, which is an interesting thing about this. Everything boils down to just twelve notes that we can make so much music with. Yeah, totally agree. And it's really invigorating if you see someone actually improvise um, a cadenza, or or at least like create their own. Because um, one of our awesome cello, our cello uh, professor here. She was playing, I can't remember who, I, I, just doing a, a well-known cello concerto, but she, the first, uh, at least the first movement, she, she improvised her own cadenza at the end, and it was awesome. Like, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, especially when you have taken the time to kind of understand what improvisation uh, or, or kind of the, the, the core of what improvisation is meant to be. Because yeah. sometimes we get sidetracked by the idea that, oh, you got to learn patterns and memorize scales. And that's not really what it is. Uh, at the end, it, the basic idea of developing a theme, call and response, you know, those very simple, it's a conversation. That's what it is. And if you have a logical uh, progression from 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 something simple that develops, that expands, that results, and then you know you summarize it back to you know a conclusion. Um, sure, in the mix of that, you use scales patterns, but that's not what it is. Um, and sometimes we get confused. I, I I'm guilty of charge, of 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 thinking too much in the theoretical in the in the theoretical and the you know kind of the gymnastics things of 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 improvising. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a journey that is a lifetime journey. So we are at least I, I will be I will classify myself within the group of those still learning. Juan, tell me about your percussion activities as they are at this point. Associate professor at um, UNC Chapel Hill. So that's one of my, that's my main gig, right? So mm. to speak. Um, I teach, obviously, uh, private lessons, uh, percussion ensemble. Um some other ensembles and some other academic classes, but that's one big aspect of, of my uh, percussion activities. I compose um, a little bit. I, I, I'm reluctant to call myself a composer. I have too much respect for those who develop a lifetime of, of learning how to compose. So, but anyway, for what is worth, I, I, uh, one of the activities that I do as a, as a percussionist is writing music. Um, for percussion ensemble, marimba, um, and then I, I, I travel, I, I do solo concerts, you know, around the States and also abroad. And I also have my own uh, Latin jazz ensemble in which I play marimba and I write the music uh, for the group and I do the arrangements and that sort of thing. And we travel and, and, and play in jazz clubs and jazz festivals and that sort of thing. So the, the Latin jazz portion 
Is that uh, just your thing only, or is that something that's affiliated with the school and you started it there? No, this is this is kind of my 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 project, my personal private project, in which I've been trying to kind of establish the marimba as a jazz instrument. Uh, you know, as you know, I mean, some people have used the instrument, but more as a as a complement to the vibraphone. Right. Not as the primary instrument. Dave Samuels, Bobby Hutchison, all of them, at some point, use the marimba, but again primarily as a compliment. Uh, what I'm trying to do is use the marimba as a primary melodic instrument in my group. And, uh, and, and the other thing that I, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm trying to present the instrument in a different way in the sense that since most of my training is, is as a classical musician, so the way I, I, I uh, write for the instrument and, and play the instrument in jazz, it does have a lot of influences from the classical marimba repertoire in regards to the formal techniques, you know, permutations, rhythms, uh, extended techniques, uh, you name it, that I sort of combine with, of course, I'm Latino, so I'm used a lot of uh, Latin influences in my writing, and then obviously the jazz harmonies in it. So it's kind of a mixture, if you will, of all those different elements uh, in the group. Do you have like a set group that's that that works with you, or is this where you if you go somewhere you're you're connecting with local musicians to kind of fill it out? Yeah, if I if I'm if I'm going abroad, uh, typically I go by myself uh, or with my pianist because a lot a lot of what I write the piano functions more like a horn section. So I need okay, I yeah, need, I I need, so there's a lot of writing. It's not it's not just chords that you just play, but there's a lot of lines that he harmonized with me and. Uh, and stuff or interaction between between the piano and the marimba. So so whenever possible, I I travel uh, with my colleague. We all teach here. If not, then I have to work with local musicians. Um, where you know wherever I go. But when I but if he's here in, in, in North Carolina, then I have a set of like a like a group, a steady group that I work with. Gotcha. What's the and what when it is the steady group? What's the instrumentation? So the instrumentation is uh, marimba, piano, bass, drum set, and percussion. Okay. It's like quintet. Yeah. Your role is is almost like the piano role, and the piano uh, is the horn so, or so, you switch off. So so it goes back and forth. So I am primarily the the the, the melody uh, player, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, but at times I, I, you know, I switch roles with the piano or even the bass and I'll be the one playing the accompaniment and they will be the ones playing the melody. So there's a fair amount of writing in, in, the, in the group and uh, a fair amount of interaction. I mean, that's, that's by design. Um, but yeah, so, so, so we sort of switch back and forth. At North Carolina at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, tell me a little bit about, about getting the position, how long you've been there. Tell me a little bit more about just the program, the music program there in general. So I've been here nine years, uh, nine years and a half, um, essentially. Uh, how I got the job? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, well, I mean, uh, long story short, my predecessor was Lynn Glassy. You probably oh, yeah, know yeah. that name yes. because he wrote a lot of music. Funny story is that... Uh, like a couple of months before I got this job, I was playing a piece, one of the, 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 the last pieces wrote, uh, on reconcilable differences or something like that. It's, okay. it's for marimba and two percussionists. I think that's the title. Um, anyway, he retired kind of suddenly. And uh, so there were like um, kind of 
forced to look for a replacement in a very short time. So uh, they couldn't find anyone, so they hired somebody to be an interim. Then they started the, the, the search. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, uh, my name was, was mentioned um, by people that know me and so forth and so on. They actually contacted me, and I was in Venezuela at the time, so I didn't reply to the emails because I was there for like I was I was doing a tour, yeah. And I didn't get the email like two weeks after, and and in fact the deadline had already passed, yeah. And uh, so <laughs> when I arrived and I opened my emails, I said, "Oh shoot, you know yeah. this 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 opportunity is gone." Yeah. Uh, I immediately called, and they were like, "Oh, are you interested in the job?" "Yes, I am. Can you send your stuff right away?" Um, so I, I, I had to rush all my, all my materials. I interview, I, I, I was asked to come to the, to campus, do my, you know, do the whole drill, the interview, the, um, presentation, I mean, the, the concert and do the teaching and, and, and everything. Um, I didn't know anything about the job. I didn't know anything about the school. I thought that they were calling the wrong guy because, Lynn Glassic to me was a composer. I didn't know he was a percussionist. So in my mind, it's like, you guys should be looking for a, for a percussionist. I mean, for a composer. Right. I'm primarily a percussionist. I do a little bit of composing, but that's not my thing. Right. Anyway, then I discovered or realized that he was primarily a percussionist, but over his career, he has some health problems that limit his playing abilities. And he ended up kind of uh, focusing more into the composition aspect. And he became a great composer. Yeah. I don't know how familiar you are with, with his music, but he's a wonderful composer. Uh, actually, actually quite because I did my uh, grad work at UNC Greensboro when he was at UNC Chapel Hill. Okay, cool. So, um, and my, predator, my mentor was Court McLaren and Court's company, C. Allen, w- published a lot of Lynn's work. Yes. So I, I actually... I've actually known of him or know him or played his music for a long, long period of time. It's funny. I mean, I haven't heard that name in a long time. It was like, you know, it was like it just brought everything back, at least on my end. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I got the 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 job. I move. Um, wait, 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 one, so hold on. One thing that I'm sorry. When when was the when did you get contacted? Was this summer? Yes, and okay. and and I tell you so. I mean, I think we all go through the through the process of of sending applications and getting rejected, not yeah. not, not even getting answered. You know, that's part of the drill, right? right. Um, but but the the interesting thing about this this job, I mean, when things are meant to be, they're meant to be, right? right. Uh, I remember vividly that I was. This was maybe late July, early August, two thousand eleven. And my wife calls me and said, hey, you know, there's somebody uh, who left a, a voice um, a message in my phone asking for you from North Carolina. I said, oh, this might be something, you know, somebody playing a joke, a joke and I'm not in the mood. I was actually recording the examples for my, for my uh, marimba book, which I, I was about getting ready to publish at the time. And I was kind of in a, you know, stressful moment. I said, you know, this must be somebody playing a joke because I didn't send an application for that job. I don't know any in North Carolina, so this must be a mistake or some kind of a bad joke. Well, the thing is that it was not a bad joke. Yeah. So the person who called called again, and it was low. No, we we are interested in, in in talking to you. Okay, so I, so we have that phone conversation. A month went by. I go to Venezuela. I didn't hear anything. So I said, you see, here's here's another example of you know another situation in which you interview, but nothing happens. Here we go again. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and then you know they they sent the email, but I was in Venezuela, so so things got delayed. 
till I got the job. The, the, the one thing that I was going to mention is um, the one thing that I interesting that interests me about this place that I wasn't aware of is the, the, the nature of the of this um, school, meaning we are a department of music, not a, um, uh, a school of music. And we are within a liberal arts university. So most of my students are double major. They're going to end up pursuing careers in something else rather than music percentage wise. Uh, first, we only have an undergraduate program for performance. And second of all, like I said, most of these students will end up making more money than me. Let's just put it that way, right. in, 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 which is great. Uh, and, and I felt like, okay, that's great because I, I really want to be working with people who have other interests outside of music, yeah. but yet they're passionate about music. Mm-hmm. Um, why am I mentioning this? Because it's, it's kind of, I mean, music is a challenging uh, profession and, and you can make a living, and, and it's, it's, but I... I, I one of those that firmly believe that getting uh, a uh, well-rounded education is crucial for you to succeed down the road. And and that's exactly what we offer the students at at the undergraduate level, a broad liberal arts education that will expose you to different, help you to become a better thinker, develop critical things. And then if you want to focus on any specific area, then you do so. Um, I just didn't want it to be in a, in a situation in which my students were going to be just doing music only. Not because I don't believe on it, not because I, it's just I wanted something different. And so this job was exactly that for me. Uh, and it was one of the things that attracted me. Plus, I mean, you, you, you're familiar with this area. It's a beautiful place, mm-hmm. uh, great colleagues and um, great students. It was, it was kind of the, the, the ideal opportunity for me. Yeah. It's amazing. And I am also very much in the camp of I love it when students have other interests. Um, exactly for that reason, I like well-rounded. I want to be around more of the well-rounded thinking and and realizing that this isn't the only, you know, the only thing. And, and it seems like for you, that is actually like like it will legitimately be just an aspect of their life, not the aspect. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong, I, I sometimes I miss being in a in a conservatory environment or in a in a in a school of music environment in which everybody's like pursuing music mm-hmm. and working really hard. I do miss that. That's that's yeah. that's the environment that I grew up and I come from. Uh, but I just wanted to experience something different. Um, and I'm grateful that I'm in a situation in which I, I still get to work with students who, who do a fair amount of music and very challenging. Yeah. But for the most part, they have all their interests. And, uh, and I'm glad to see them grow and move in different directions and, and pursue other interests in, in life. But music remains an important part. And then I think the other thing that is, is important is that those will be the people who will come back and support our programs. Yes. But they will be in a position to, to help us down the road. So that's the other, maybe selfishly, that's the other reason why I like to work in a place like this. That's a good, no, that's a great reason. <laughs> yeah. Since you've been there for, I guess, almost 10, or this is your 10th year or... My ninth, going Your to ninth, okay. So are there ways that the job has changed for you since you've been there, since you've, your impact or what, how it's affected how you, like your workload, for lack of a better word? Of course, like, like, like any, like any uh, job and any program, there's 
there's pros and cons, right? Sure. Um, so one of the things that that um, I don't have to do, but it's good if I do it or I'm expected to do it, like for instance, uh, contribute to the to the academic teaching, right? So mm -hmm. I do I do teach some academic classes, like intro to Latin American music and intro to jazz. Awesome. That's something that most likely somebody that is primarily a percussion teacher in a school of music or in a conservatory, you won't get asked to do those things. Right. I also conduct a Latin jazz uh, group. Um, so, so those are things that I have to learn to do or get better at doing yeah. over, over time because I, I didn't went to school to study those things. And I'm not teaching those classes from my, from my historical perspective. Like I used to do many, many years ago when I first started teaching in Texas and community college and other universities. I have embraced kind of what, uh, almost like a seminar type of approach to the class in which we talk about the music, but I also make equal emphasis on the social, cultural, and sociopolitical aspects of music mm -hmm. and how those things interact yeah. and how those things help you to understand culture and, and music and, and politics yeah. together. Uh, as opposed to when I first started teaching intro to jazz, it was solely focused on the music. Right. Um, and I guess that's fine. That's one approach that that, that you could use. But I, I'm trying to use a more, I guess, holistic approach or more, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. inclusive or whatever word you want to throw in there, in which we look at the music, but we also talk, look about the, 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 the kind of cultural and historical and political things that have informed the music and vice versa, that the music has informed important social, cultural and, and political movements or changes. Yeah. So I have to learn how to kind of approach things from, from that perspective. And of course, I, I'm not a musicologist, so I have to kind of learn how to organize my ideas and, and how do I present material and how, how I kind of make sure that it, the classroom functions in a way that, 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 um, that approach is effective for the population that I'm serving because the other thing is most of the students in those classes, they're not musicians. Right. So I have to make sure that I use terminology and, 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 and ideas and concepts that they can connect to and relate to. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's been probably one of the areas that I have to adapt, grow and, and, and learn. I'm still learning. As far as uh, precaution goes, I guess everything goes back to the previous conversation is um, finding ways because of the population that I'm serving. Most of my students, I'm not going to pursue careers as musicians. I want to make sure that that they walk out of here with a set of skills that they they can still make music, even though they're not going to have the, the time to practice three, four hours a day. Going back to the marimba, that learning simple voicings and learning how to play those in the marimba will enable you to create basic accompaniments of a tune or simple, you know, arrangements that you could play in the middle of a get together if you if you have an instrument in the living room in your house. Uh, that thing, and and perhaps also, and this is something that everybody's doing. Try to use a more um, global approach, uh, like and 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 incorporate you know techniques and musical concepts from other traditions from indian music from you know uh, african music for any music that that normally we wouldn't use in in a regular program but i think there's a fair amount of information and concepts that we can all learn from and um, and the students can you know benefit from yeah 
Speaking my language, Juan. I mean, this is everything where everything you're talking about is things that I love talking about when I when I teach specific classes. Like I do, I, I'm I share the jazz, pop, and rock class the, with our jazz professor. I do the focus on the pop and rock part, part. But I go back, like even though I'm not necessarily focusing on music of the 20s and 30s, I usually start like kind of where rock and roll begins. But I backtrack so that the students know like the history of of where the like Latin Latin American stream of this music comes from or mm-hmm. where the the West African basis or the um you know the uh like the British Isles it, like all of these things that that create what's pop music and I love do, like I love doing that because I think it's just it's good to see that these things are not didn't come out of nowhere like yeah, it's no. kind of their their point and that there's a, a fair amount of connection um, yes um among them yes. more than what we think oh yeah and and then um maybe one last thing re- sure. related to your question as to how have i changed or my teaching has changed or evolved i think that the, the other thing and this is also based on personal experiences helping students develop uh writing and 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 communication skills related to music like how you kind of present what you do because I think sometimes we are very isolated people. We tend to spend yeah. too much time in a practice room for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. You got to work on yeah. your skills. But then you get out of there and and, and at least I, I I felt like early on I had a hard time kind of selling myself, for lack of a better term. Like, mm-hmm. how do I present myself out there? How do yeah. I, you know, conduct myself with people that don't speak my language, meaning music, right? How do I connect to an audience? How, how do I connect to a promoter? How do I do those things? Um, so I, I think that's, that's another part that sometimes we don't uh, talk too much in our teaching, but it's uh, as, as important sometimes even more mm-hmm. than learning a bazillion amount of pieces that, that is important, but it's not, it's not necessarily the end goal of, of what learning is, is supposed to be. That's so great. I love it. Do you like living in North Carolina? Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's yeah, my, my wife and I love it. Um, it's close enough to Puerto Rico. It's similar, actually. Um, all the hills and the oh, mountains. Oh, sure, yeah. And you have the beach. It's not too far. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a lot of similarities. Um, but I like the place. I, I, I like the people, uh, yeah. first and foremost. Uh, and I like the place. And it's close. Uh, I mean, it's. I mean, we have a straight flight to France, so whenever I have to go to Europe, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's not too too difficult. I'm close to New York. Whenever I had to go there, mm-hmm. so it's it's, it's 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 centric enough that that you can move. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's it's a really good community. Uh, I mean, Eric Willis is nearby. We went to school together. There's some other great teachers that have moved. People have retired in the nine years that I've been here. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, so that's being a, 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 the pass of a baton yeah. in basically all the major schools. Yeah. So it's exciting to see those changes, to see people arriving with their own ideas and the world perceptions of how we teach and how we create music. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that, yeah, your area where, where you are is, is a great area. Um, I have like my wife's family is is in that is like Burlington to Cary and Raleigh. So it's like I'm in that stretch a lot. It's a it's, it's a great place to and I have friends in Carborough to get specific. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so it's a, yeah, 
it's a it's a it's a it's a really great vibe um yeah it's a, it's a very culturally rich place yes. you know um so it's great because you you will encounter people interested in what you do and you will be like really <laughs> you know about this you like yeah, this? Yeah. You, you really care about this right uh who again genuinely care about the arts about music mm-hmm. um yeah so it's, it's i mean it's a great place to be Juan, you already alluded to this where did you grow up backing up now so I grew up in Puerto Rico. I was born and raised there uh, in a little town close to the mountains called Sidra. And then I moved to, to the capital, to San Juan, mm-hmm. to go to the uh, music conservatory. I did all my undergraduate there. I played with the symphony orchestra all my time here. So I pretty much learned on the job, all those efforts. I always joke with my students that I learned, and it's true, I learned all of those things on the job, Yeah, essentially, which was a blessing um, that I'm, forever grateful because I got to play all those standard uh, pieces multiple, multiple times. Yeah. Um, and again, just experience the real deal, just playing in there, adjusting, learning how you need to function as a, as a, as a section player. But at the same time, I was doing a fair amount of popular music. Puerto Rico is kind of an interesting place, musically speaking, is, 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 is a thriving place. There's all kinds of things happening all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, it, there's a strong tradition of, of both popular music and classical music. And so I, I'm, 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 I just benefit from growing up in a, in a rich place, despite the fact that it's a tiny little island. There's, there's a fair amount of, of, of music uh, traditions and, and music, a musical culture in there that, that served me well. It, it gave me a strong foundation um, before I moved to the States to do my, my, my master's on my DMA. Did you have any, sort of alluded to this, but do you have any family members who are in the arts? Not uh, like um, uh, close family uh, yeah. members. I only have a sister. She doesn't know anything with music. My parents, <laughs> my parents are not musicians. My grandfather played music by ears. And so my father had three brothers. All of them play guitar. Mm. Uh, really good guitar players. Like if yeah. they would have studied music, they would have been like classical guitarists. And my mom has, uh, my, my grandfather's uncle who still lives in New York, he can play like these traditional uh, 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 Latin boleros, which um, for guitar players are fairly demanding. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but this is something he does by ear. So he has an incredible ear and incredible technical facility on the instrument. Yeah. So 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 music runs in the family, but not not like on my immediate family. Gotcha. So was it that you would these if you were encountering your uh, extended family with music, it was like a you know like a special occasion or uh, a get together or like it wasn't on a daily basis. It was just. Like yeah, when you yeah, see it, basically. Well, especially during during the Christmas season, because yeah. uh, Puerto Rico has still today. Um, I mean, it has changed, but especially back in the eighties. I mm-hmm. mean, once and and Puerto Rico has they're famous for having the longest Christmas season. They start like early November, and that thing goes till till February. Oh wow! Yeah, they keep extending it. They keep celebrating. <laughs> right, of course yeah, they do. <laughs> they keep extending, extending, extending. So you have uh, pretty much every weekend, yeah. uh, you have some live music, and people go to to their houses and 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 play music for each other. 
So, you know, during those, those, those days, I would be absorbing and looking at my uncles and, oh, wow, this is kind of fascinating. And when I was of age, then my grandfather would take me and show me some chords and, you know, this is kind of how you play this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the other thing that, again, my, so my parents were, they're not musicians, but my father is what you can uh, describe as a record collector and as a, as a music fan, especially mm-hmm. Latin music. Mm-hmm. So he has this huge collection of records Mm -hmm. that I will listen to, including records in which they have vibraphone and marimba. And I was like, what is that instrument? Mm -hmm. So I thought it was some sort of a special piano or something. Right. But obviously later on, I discovered that it was uh, a vibraphone or or a marimba, Mm -hmm. respectively. And so that was my introduction, basically by accident, to, to, to mallet percussion through my father, through his record collection. But it wasn't until a year later, uh, later that I was finally officially introduced uh, to to the to the marimba. I was 16, so I, in many ways I'm a latecomer because people typically start like in uh, middle school or so, so around 10 or 11. Remember some of the the music that that he was playing that you got to hear. Yeah, so I mean, there was a fair, fair amount of salsa music, mm-hmm. but also like music by Tito Puente, mm-hmm. and that's where you will hear either a vibraphone or a marimba. There was this singer that that used a very interesting format because instead of using horns, he will use a vibraphone rhythm section, and then and then him singing. Yeah, his name his name was Cheo Feliciano. Yeah, um, and uh, so that was one. Those were records that I was like, oh, you know, I gotta check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, in, in addition to the vibraphone, they has this amazing Latin percussionist playing there. So I was also interested. In fact, my first instrument was uh, was the timbales. That's the instrument mm-hmm. that drove me like 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 hook. Like I was totally hooked so much oh, yeah. that my my neighbors hated me. Oh, you're because right. I will, yes, <laughs> because I will I will I was self taught, and I will spend hours right. like playing on top of those records. Yeah, and trying to to kind of. Uh, transcribe not not transcribe but memorize the solos the feels yeah everything yeah. i still my mother should still have this i had like countless amounts of of uh cassettes yeah that i will i will record myself on top of those records and then listen back so listen this is kind of interesting and, and make sure that i will match every single thing yeah yeah literally did I knew at the time that that's pretty much the way we teach people yeah yeah when, or at least i teach my students like go listen to it Record yeah. yourself and then listen back and, and 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 listen critically and make sure that you are, you know, meeting all the expectations, right? Musically yeah. speaking. That's awesome. So, so that's kind of the way I, I started with percussion. That's awesome. I, I was I'm I'm imagining, I'm thinking of your neighbors, as you said. And when you're saying playing on top of it, like volume-wise, I'm sure you were playing on top of it. Oh yeah. I mean, my mother, my poor mother, after like several hours, because I will put easily, I mean, I didn't play basketball. It's not like I will as soon as I arrive home from school, yeah. I will put play, and it was one record after another. So I will start around 3:30 and it was like seven, and my mother was like, please. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> right. Can you please stop? Yeah. You know, I think that's that's good. Plus the neighbors, you know, oh, yeah. you consider it. Yeah, yeah. Uh I and you know, I have a couple of neighbors that, that will call my mom and say, Hey, can you tell your kid to please stop or play soft? <laughs> um and my mother was like, Well, you know, um, 
I much rather have him playing music. God bless her. Yeah, right. Being, yeah, of course. Being on the street or something. So yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, mom, support yes, me, please. Right. <laughs> uh, so that went on for years. Yeah. Uh, my poor mom. So I, I now now I feel bad because I it was almost like a punishment. My father loved it. He was very supportive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but you know that's kind of the way I I, I kind of introduce myself to the world of percussion. That is that is wonderful. You know, and the uh, the other part of that, of course, is that uh, I'm not saying that there are percussion instruments that are that are are quiet, but uh, timbales. It's pretty oh. loud <laughs> on the very, loud end. Pretty loud. Yeah. And, and and the thing is, early on, I didn't have an actual instrument. So I would go to the kitchen and take all the pots and cans that my mom had. And that, those, that was my instrument. So gradually, I start to, you know, buy instruments and stuff. Uh, but yeah, so it, nevertheless, cans are also super loud. <laughs> so so it's just, there, there was there was no, there was no, 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 you know, mercy in regards to volume and how loud that was in the house my sister hated it i had a, my sister was probably five or six at the time she was like well, you have to play that all the time yes yeah but you know <laughs> now they go like see you know it was well worth it so, yes that is no of course that's that is so great you're you're getting your experience through um originally it sounds like through you know the, the pop music side um, when does the classical portion of your studies or when do you start expanding beyond uh, this strong basis? So, so this is going to be interesting because it, it will take, so back, take us back to um, kind of my idea for my, for my presentation of, mm-hmm. of, of basic, which is this concept of integrating information. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I mean is a lot of those salsa records of the 1970s, one yeah. in particular, a lot of those musicians had uh, classical training. Right. And so I, before I knew who Johann Sebastian Bach, I was introduced right. to him or Beethoven because there's a pianist, his name is Richie Ray. And mm-hmm. he studied at Julia, but uh, he couldn't make it as a classical pianist because uh, as a Latino, that's in those days was almost impossible. But he decided, well, you know, I'm going to play this music, but I'm going to integrate all this all this amazing classical music yeah. so if you listen to his music you will hear Chopin you will hear Mozart you will hear Beethoven yeah so I was listening to that music without me knowing it way mm-hmm. before I went to the conservatory and they and they I, then I go to my history class and they start playing those pieces and they say oh this is Bach this is Beethoven I said no that's not him that's this pianist yeah, yeah. You know, that's the pianist that I, that my father, you know, has in his record collection. So that's right. I was exposed to classical music by accident through those records. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it wasn't until I arrived at the at the conservatory that I officially started to listen to the music mm-hmm. and learn about the history and 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 all the stuff. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, all my involvement with music was Latin music, pop music, mm-hmm. and all and also some jazz. Yeah. I would listen to the public radio station um, because they used to play uh, a lot of, you know, Bible music or, or marimba music. Yeah. And I was interested uh, uh, about that. So I, that's the only way. This, this is before YouTube and all of this. So you have to either go to the record shop and buy records or listen to the radio yeah. um, to be able to get, you know, exposed to that kind of music. Yeah. You you immediately made me think of two things that that were related. Is that one of the, when I teach, and I'm sure you see this when you teach some of the 
some of your classes is that the students will have heard sometimes they'll have heard things through sampling um in hip-hop for for what like that's happened a, in a couple of times and then the other thing is that you will hear and this is what what you made me think of specifically was um i can't remember who the who it, who this is but um the salsa record um adoration uh-huh yeah who Eddie is that Palmieri. Eddie Palmieri. and Palmieri, yeah and that's that's like you know experimental um atonal uh, a, a, a view into salsa yeah yeah uh, absolutely and if you yeah. listen to the next record he made uh-huh. who who um historically speaking not only it's not only great because of the music but also because it's, it was the first latin record that that won a grammy uh, an american grammy award in 74 mm. and the, the the title of the record is the son uh s uh o n of latin the, the, it's not son uh s u n of latin music yeah and there's a tune in there entitled un dia bonito or a beautiful day mm-hmm. it's a 15 minute tune but the first six or seven minute is like i don't know like um this atonal chamber meets uh john cage yeah, yeah. Uh, plus all this crazy stuff yeah, yeah which of course when i heard that for the first time i was 15 years old i was like what happened here <laughs> what is yeah. this but it's it's kind of it's kind of the next level or the or the follow-up to the yeah. tune that you are referring to. Yeah. So again, I was getting exposed to all these uh amazing musical traditions and knowledge and concepts way before somebody told me, yeah, this is atonal music or this is 12-tone music or yeah. whatever. So my ears were kind of uh familiar with, uh, but I didn't know the proper names and, and where that information uh actually came from. Yeah. When you when you were growing up and before you moved to the capital, had you spent a lot of time there or was that was when you first moved there? Was that a major like change of um, culture to be to be in the city? A little bit. I mean, I, I, I it was the first time that I was living outside of, of kind of the, the countryside, the mountain yeah, uh, it's a tiny little area, so there's not a huge, uh, drastic changes. Like, for instance, North Carolina here. If you if you live in I don't know in Charlotte or Raleigh, it's totally yeah. different than if you go up the mountains like Boom or right. you know. Um, it's a, I guess it's a lot more pronounced than in Puerto Rico. But naturally, there that, there was an, uh, there was a change yeah. and and uh, an adaptation uh, an adaptation period that I had to go through. Mm-hmm. I guess the biggest challenge. For me, was to uh, of course leaving by yourself for the first time, so I had to adjust to that. Um, obviously, like any other major city or capital or cosmopolis, cosmopolitan city, life is a lot quicker. So you have right. to kind of you have to kind of um, learn how to adapt to that and be efficient in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, of course, it was very competitive. Uh, because you have all the best musicians from all over the island and also abroad. Yeah. Starting there, that's that's the primary school of music, and it's and it's, it's a very demanding. Uh, and also, it, it, you know, you, we play a lot of music. Like mm-hmm. like we would do multiple concerts with the ensembles every semester, and we will travel to the island. So so yeah. it was kind of the first experience of of what a professional musician has to do in terms of organizing yourself, preparing uh, preparing yourself, 
and um, you know, um, using your time ef- efficiently in order to be able to um, accomplish everything that you need to accomplish. Was there a focus when you're there? You said that you were doing everything. So was everyone who's in school there, are they expected to be fluent in all different styles or were they, could you just focus on one thing or another thing and just that'll, that would be good enough? It was, it was a typical conservatory training catered towards orchestral playing. Gotcha. We, we spent a fair amount of time, you know, talking about EPSERS. My situation was that I started playing with the orchestra around the, the time that I arrived there. So I end up, you know, kind of incorporating that information and learning a lot more on the job. But so we spent a fair amount of time. We, I mean, we study all the Beethoven symphonies, uh, a lot of the Haydn's, you know. So it was a very intense, mm-hmm. you know, or, orchestral training. Yep. All kinds of EPSERS, you know, you name it, I, I probably, you know, spent a fair amount of time uh, on them. Yeah. But but my teacher was uh, well. First, he did his master at Indiana back in the seventies, and he was one of the first one to attend the Lee Howard Stephen uh, camp in the okay. summers. Yeah. So he so he was the one who kind of introduced that technique uh, to to people in Puerto Rico, and and he was uh, very passionate about you know uh, introducing the students to the marimba solo repertoire. So while we were doing a heavy doses uh, of of orchestral repertoire. We will also do a fair amount of solos, uh, but everything was catered towards the classical Western tradition. There was no mm-hmm. popular music. In fact, we will get called if they hear us playing, you know, any drum beats or mm-hmm. or anything. Things have changed. They open a, a, a jazz and, and, and popular music programs after I left. The environment is different, but in those days, it was strictly, you know, kind of a European classical conservatory approach to education yeah you weren't checking to see how well these uh timbales dowels were um responding off of the 32 inch head (laughs) or you or you may have been trying that out anyway Uh, probably (laughs) (laughs) probably when nobody was around of course yes yes of course yeah. Or, or maybe play on the side and see. Yeah, yeah. If, if I <laughs> yes. could, if I could use it to play for Casca, I was like, my my teacher would kill me. <laughs> no, I, I never did. <laughs> Just for the record, in case in case he happens to to, see, to watch this, I never did. Promise. I I did I did hide and play some drums late at night. Right. Um, we will do that. You know, when sure. there was nobody in the building, we will just wait. Yeah. And, uh, you know, do our pop yeah. stuff, you know, right. hand drumming stuff. But, yeah. you know, it was okay. <laughs> Looking yeah. back at it, I, I'm, I'm grateful because, I mean, we study all those daily clues, not just the 12. We, st- we, we, we will start with the, with the method, mm-hmm. then the 12. Then there's like three or four books after that that a lot yeah. of people don't get to work. I work with all those books. It was oh, kind wow. of an intense um, you know, also the timpani method, we will do a fair amount of that, meaning yeah. the delaclus. So it was a very heavy, you know, dose of that on top of, you know, because I wanted to play uh, solo marimba stuff. He will allow me to play all these crazy pieces that I didn't know. I mean, I play a lot of the Raymond Hebel uh, uh, pieces. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was getting into it. I just, I, sure. I thought, okay, let me just Learn it. Uh, yeah. I I remember doing that piece, uh, uh, Night uh, Rhapsody. 
Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it's a, I mean, the, the first beast. measure is it's, it's a base. Uh, <laughs> our pace is insane. Yeah. Uh, but again, I was again, uh, I didn't know anything, and, and sure. he had bought all that music when I when he first, you know, uh, over the years because right. he would go and and he had all that music under his office, and nobody would pay attention. Say, hey, if you want to check this out, I said, oh, okay, but let yeah, me yeah. check it out. And um, of course, I mean, I, I I I didn't play them as well as I needed to be played, but going through those pieces, I mean, it was it was beneficial because my technique went from this to this. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, they're 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 just they will kill you or make you better. Yeah. It's it's just one of the two. It is. Um, but uh, so it was fun because uh, I mean it was fairly intense. We didn't have much academic classes. That's mm. the nature of a conservatory. Right. So I so I could practice a lot. Yeah. And that's why we were able to do so much. Uh, it's, you you're say, you were saying it's the, it's really the only kind of academy or conservatory like that. Conservatory. Yeah. So yeah, every, yeah is yeah. is the, does that mean automatically it's very competitive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the most. I mean, it's very difficult to get in. I mean, yeah. it's very demanding, um, and also, I mean, it's competitive in the sense that everybody that is there, uh, they can play. Yeah. So you, so you have to bring your A game, so yeah. to speak. It's, it's, and it's, it's, it's a tiny, it's a tiny school. It's maybe a hundred, or two hundred students. Maybe now it's, but in those days, it was very small. Mm-hmm. Um, so you hear everybody practicing. You, you, you know that that friendly competition it was never you know um uh, ill intended yeah. it was just like hey uh, let's push each other uh and and everybody was like totally you know focused on 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 the music and on 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 developing the skills that we needed yeah. to develop and again you know the the benefit of, of of conservatories is that you don't have an academic a heavy academic uh load right just a couple of classes so you could practice as much as you want to yeah, yeah, for sure. What were the facilities like? So uh, in those days, they were not that great. Yeah, I mean, we only have one, two, uh, essentially three, four, three, four practice rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, well, three and a half essentially, because the, the other room was essentially a drum set room. Yeah, uh, which they also use for other stuff. There was like a rehearsal room that the percussion ensemble, and sometimes you had to practice there because. Uh, there were at least 15 to 20 students. Uh, so you imagine there's not enough, you know, and, and we were practicing all the time. Right. Um, so it was kind of challenging to find a space, but we will just practice on the halls or whatever, in the bathroom, just whatever. Um, they, uh, after I left, they they moved to a new building. Actually, the building is old. It's just you know, restored the building. It's a lot bigger. So they have multiple concert halls. They have wonderful, incredible facilities. And it's next by the Bay Area. So you have the ocean right in front of you. I'm not sure that's a good idea. No, I'd not say. It's too distracting for me, but uh, it's beautiful nevertheless. Uh, The facilities are amazing. Yeah. Uh, And actually, and the only thing is they didn't have five octave marine mist. I remember... Lee Howard Steven came one year to do uh, a, a concert and a master class, and I was playing, I can't remember what I was playing, but I needed the five octave, and it was a quarry. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, 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 that with, no, with, those instruments had an extension that you could turn it into a five octave, but you end up having like a hole this big. <laughs> so an octave is like a 13. 
Yeah, right. And I, I think I was playing uh, the WC, you know, children's songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. That book, mm-hmm. the, what, the first one, the one with the low C. Yeah, and yeah. It, it was like, you intend to play that here? So <laughs> this is the only thing we have. Right. And he was like, I ain't touching that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I ain't messing with that. <laughs> um, so, but it was great in the sense that, um, again, we, we were able to play and learn a ton of music we had the time yeah and our teacher was very uh, uh encouraging and 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 and, and um and he facilitated and uh, you know the environment and the and the support that we needed to kind of develop at what point do you do, do do you think to yourself okay i i actually want to pursue this and i i need to i, I need to leave to do that well, actually, I wasn't planning on leaving. Okay. Um, I guess multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. I, I, again, I, I wasn't sure I was good enough. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, again, this is prior to YouTube. Sure. So and you, when you're growing on, a, on an island, you are pretty much isolated for the rest of the world, and you don't know. Right. I mean, of course, my teacher did an amazing job. He started doing a, a festival since 1995, bringing Stevens, Michael Bird, all, you know, all these amazing player. So I have an idea of the level, but I just didn't know if, if, if I was good enough to be accepted in, in, in a major program. Yeah. The other thing is I, I was making good money. I was playing with the symphony orchestra. Mm-hmm. I was gigging. I, I mean, I was well settled. Um, so I could have stayed, yeah. but I have this inner urge of, I, I want to get better. I want to uh, explore other things. So at the very last minute, my teacher says, uh, you should audition. So I end up saying, sending my stuff way too late. Mm-hmm. Uh, the deadlines had already passed, essentially, yeah. because I waited too long. It's not like I felt like I needed to leave. I just had the inner urge of, you know, I should get out and get better. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I was like, I'm comfortable here and I'm playing great music. And yeah. should I leave? Maybe I don't have to. Uh, ultimately, I, I decide... Um, uh, I decided to leave, and uh, and, and then I, I stay, uh, I stay here. So I have not. I mean, I go back to visit, but yeah, I've yeah. been he- I've been here since two thousand one. So it's been twenty years. And where was your master's at? I did my master's and DMA at North Texas. Okay, you're at one of the top schools. You're at the I think one of the largest programs, if not the largest percussion program. The largest. Is that a shock when you get there? I mean, of course. I mean, it was yeah. like, whoa, what is this? I yeah, mean, yeah. we had two buildings of practice rooms. <laughs> I'm coming from a place that we only have four rooms. Right, yeah. So they have multiple buildings, yeah, you yeah. know? Uh, it was like, what is this? Multiple five marimbas. Yeah, the yeah. first five marimba uh, in Puerto Rico arrived like one week before my recital. So that's all I had to practice all my pieces. Yeah, yeah. So now I come to this place to have multiple instruments, amazing facilities, um, a huge, I mean, you, large program is an understatement. I mean, yeah, the, yes. the, the, the percussion studio will fill the, the, the concert hall. Yeah. You know, it's like 150 or something so between, yeah, be, between drummers and, and percussion majors yeah. and, and, and graduates and undergraduates. So it was like, what is this? Yeah. Uh, it was a total, you know, that's, that's essentially a shot. It yeah. was a shot for me. Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course I, I wasn't, sure whether i will you know be at the level so uh that's something that that i that i that i needed to kind of wait and see how things would develop 
Uh, but it was, I mean, it was great. I mean, it's, it, 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 like you mentioned, it's a great program. Um, it's, 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 it also has these challenging environment because there's so much music, there's so much great players yeah. that whether you want it or not, you're going to be challenged and you have to, you know, kind of uh, bring your A game all the time because every Friday they do recitals. I don't know of any other place. And I'm not talking about just, you know, one or two pieces. You have uh, an entire one hour, an hour and 20 minutes of program yeah. and people are playing these heavy demanding pieces. Right. Um, and it's like, you know, shoot, I, I, I mean, I got to go and practice, you know? Right. But it was great. It was great. Uh, great teachers, great yeah. um, peers, and, um, and 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 the town too. I mean, once once you get acclimated to the place, it's kind of the right place to be mm-hmm. uh, if you want to do music and and be if you're serious about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess the key word is if be serious about it, because if you're not, then it will be a nightmare. Yeah, I've had a number of. Um, North Texas people I've talked to over the years and it, everything you're saying is, is similar to what I've heard from, from everywhere else. And particularly the, that you get there and you're just like, everybody is just awesome. And you're like, yeah. Oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. I have to shape up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, undergraduate students playing amazingly well, both yeah. technically and musically. Yeah. Naturally graduate students. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's just, um, uh, interesting, challenging place, but in a, in a positive way. Right. Yes, of course. And if I remember, if if that timeline sounds right, was that like right after um, Dean and Ford arrive? Yeah. So I think I arrived there the same year Dean arrived, or maybe okay. he arrived a year earlier. Okay. I think I think Mark Ford arrived in '98, so he had been there three years. For three years before I got, I arrived there, and Dean was arriving at the time, or you know maybe a year prior to my arrival, because they were at Eastern Carolina for a long time. Eastern Carolina, yeah. That's actually I. That was my interaction. First interactions were with them were um, when they were both still there, and I UNCG was. They were it would. They both had very similar programs at that point um, and focuses. So it's like we we knew of them through and then of course mark ford and christine through through those uh times like we'd see them at days of percussion kind of things yeah 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 um did you have a, a assistantship no okay uh again i applied too oh that's late. right you applied too late right <laughs> too late um then when i when i when i was doing my but so again it's just the, the 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 cultural change, and um, I mean, of course, I, when I arrived there, I didn't speak the language well. I still don't. My English is horrible, but uh, but uh, it's, it's, it has gotten a little bit better, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I I need it, and I'm I'm coming from a small conservatory environment. This is a huge program, yeah. Uh, in 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 every sense of the word, in terms of the population, but also the place itself. Yeah. So it takes you a while to kind of acclimate and get adjust to the place. Yeah. Um, so it took me some time. Mm-hmm. Um, then when I was going to do my DMA, I wasn't sure. I was going to finish my master and then go back home. Yeah. That was my initial plan. Um. When I, I tried to move, I, I, I wanted to move to a, to a different school to do my DMA so I could get a, a TA position, yeah. but that didn't work out. 
So I stay, I, 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 I said, you know, I just finished. I got married at all this, uh, around that time. So it, mobility was a little more complicated. So I, I and I said, well, you know, I'm in a great place. I, 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 I was already doing uh, a lot of stuff. Um, so I decided to stay and, and, and do my DMA and finish. And, and, and then the rest is history, so to speak. Well, did it feel different being a doctoral student than a master's student? No, not to okay. me. No, no. I, and to be honest, I uh, the only reason I, I did, <laughs> this might sound shocking. I was doing the. I didn't wanted to do a DMA. Okay. Uh, that was not on me. But um, because my intention was to go uh, learn a ton of marimba, just play marimba in my in my in my naive world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was going to make a living playing marimba. I soon realized that's not the case. So number one, yeah. number two, I said, well, I can go back home, play in the orchestra and do that. I tried doing that. But when I went back home, I realized that the orchestra, I, I didn't see myself there for the next 20, 30 years. Sure. Yeah. And I said, Oof, I got to find something else to do. I, I had I had I, I had already t- uh, started teaching around that time. And I, and I fell in love with the idea of teaching. Like, yeah. you know, helping someone, reaching a goal and sharing music. So, so that was appealing to me. So I started applying to a jobs, but the main, the main, the main uh, rejection or, or concern problem that they will raise against me was you don't have a DMA. Right. You have all this experience, you have traveled, you have recorded, you have done this and that, but you don't have a DMA. So I said, okay, I guess I'm going to have to do the DMA. Yeah. So I know that sounds perhaps a little bit, I don't know, shocking, but that's really the main reason why I went to to do a DMA, yeah. Uh, early on, um, now once I, I I started, then I, I you know I, I changed my perception. I said you know this is important. I I, I need to get the most out of it, mm-hmm. and make sure that I use this time to prepare myself for for the job. So when I get the job, I I, I can be prepared musically and 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 academically speaking. So so I can you know do what I'm going to be asked to do. So I'm not sure that was a good answer, but that's as honest and as I can be. No, that was, no, that was a great answer. I mean, it's different for everyone. Because you you said you went back, you saw there there were other possibilities that you wanted to focus on, or just that I this this orchestra career is typically a if you get the job, you you're that's the job, and it was going to be somewhat limiting. Yeah, musically speaking, because uh, one of the things that happened to me uh, while I know Texas is I got heavily involved with with jazz, okay. and I started exploring that world very deeply, mm-hmm. and 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 it was compelling to me the idea of I can create music, you know, and yeah. I can I can play a recital today and tomorrow, and they are totally different, and I can really push myself and challenge myself to be creative. Yeah. Naturally, in an orchestral setting. You can be creative, but not in the same way. So it's a right. total different mindset. It's a total different gig, yeah. uh, which requires a diff- different skill set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was not interested in doing that. Uh, yeah. Musically speaking, I was looking for something else. And so I realized that summer, because I play a bunch of concerts with the orchestra, that that's, that, was, that wasn't any longer what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and so the choices were where I tried to make a career as a, as a performer and I go out there and try to make it or I get my education. But as I said before, because I started teaching, you know, mm. 
uh, around that time, and I fell in love with the with the concept of teaching, not just with the fact that it's a steady gate. Yeah, yeah. That that wasn't really the the reason why I, I wanted to do it. It's just I I saw the impact of music beyond playing, learning the skills, mm-hmm. how music can transform an individual and give somebody purpose and direction in life. Yeah. And I and I and I was like, okay, I want to do this. This is this is this is something meaningful to me. Um, so that's, that, that's where all the dots connected, so to speak for me. And I said, okay, this is, this is the route that I want to pursue. Um, but I still want to perform. And, and, and so being at a, a, but I, I, I knew that I didn't want to teach in a middle school or high school. I wanted to teach in a college level Mm -hmm. so I could have the freedom to do all the things, to pursue my, my own projects, do my concerts, um, and that sort of thing. And so I and, and then the, the the only challenge was to get my DMA because I that well, that was going to be a requirement. When you were getting more into the jazz portion, or is this when you start um, writing composing on your own? Yeah, I started uh, arranging, composing, and I'm starting. I started to look at the marimba from a total different perspective. Mm. Um, and I said, okay, this is uh, this is something that I want to pursue. I, I want to. Because I, I I think at the end, if you if you're trying to to pursue a career as a soloist, you gotta find your own identity, your own right. kind of style, your own voice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's great to play other people's music, and we should do that. But um, I, I didn't feel comfortable playing Keiko Abe's music. She's still alive, and nobody can play her music like her. Right. Um, I think it's great that we study their music, but but what I like to do when I play her music is try to understand the concept behind the music so I can use that in my own uh, music. So an improvisation gave me kind of the the, the pathway to do that. Okay, I, I can connect all this stuff and through improvisation and composition. And that's why when I started, you know, moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. When do you finish your DMA? What year? So I, so I finished in 2008. Okay. What hap- what's going on interim between 2008 and you getting the UNC job? So I was teaching at a Baptist uh, university in, in, in Texas, mm-hmm. uh, Howard Payne University, part-time. Okay. I was also teaching at a community college. Because the other thing is, so every time I would apply for a job, the only, the only uh, points that were raised against me is you don't have the DMA. And then it was, well, you don't have much college teaching experience right of course okay great that's what i'm applying for a job by the way right yeah Um, anyway so i started you know doing any any college teaching that i could find but at the same time i started to do to travel abroad to play uh, at percussion festival jazz festivals i was doing recordings i was doing you know just gigging Yeah, yeah doing all kinds of gigs um and I was lucky and more than lucky, fortunate enough that my wife had a very good job that enabled me the flexibility to, because, you know, gigging is not a stable right. uh, job. So there, there are months in which things are great, there are some others in which things are not. Yeah. But uh, having her, you know, enabled me the, 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 or afforded me the opportunity to kind of do my things without being concerned about, well, I don't have enough money to pay the rent this 
Uh, and also I took, I, I took the time because I understood kind of the, the nature of the game. And this is what I told my student is you got to get your degree, but everybody's getting the degree. Right. And also everybody's getting experience. What else are you bringing to the table? Right. So that's when I started composing because I, I'm bringing that to the table, writing my own, you know, book, mm-hmm. collaborating with others, getting books, because you need to have your own publications. Right. Uh, and this, these are things that you don't necessarily, uh, get told to do or or you don't realize that they are crucial sometimes even more important than the degree itself yeah so i took that time to kind of put everything in place and make sure that my whole portfolio was as complete as possible and that's essentially what happened in those two three years and a half between Mm -hmm. i finished in december of 2008 and then uh the job came in 2012 I yeah. uh, interviewed in, in, in 2011, and then I, I started in 2012. So almost what? almost four years. Yeah. Uh, dude, were you getting burned out or worn out from, from putting this kind of career together in a very, you know, piecemeal, I have one thing, one thing, one thing situation? In a way, yes. Mm-hmm. I think I, I'd be I'd be lying if I if I if I don't uh, acknowledge that there were times I never thought about quitting. I mean, I'm doing sure. this because it's my vocation. It's not because of the money. I love it. It's just yeah. it's, I I was born to. I have I have not done anything in my life that is not playing music. Sure, um, not sure that's good or not. But my mm-hmm. wife sometimes tells me, "Can you do anything else other than playing? <laughs> you know, the holding sticks with your hands." <laughs> <laughs> of course. Anyway, uh, but so, so, but yeah, there were times in which like, I'm not sure I'm going to make it, you know, like I'm going to be able to reach a point in which I, I have a stable income and a stable job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There were some times in which I, I doubted it, but I continue. I w- every time that happened, I will look back and say, what am I lacking? What do yeah. I need to do? How can I turn uh, a negative situation into a positive mm-hmm. situation or a challenging situation into a into an opportunity that will help me to grow? Yeah, because a lot of those uh, temporary jobs, you know, it's just going all over uh, all over the place, not getting well paid. Right. I mean, it's it's it's, it's the, the the ratio between effort and compensation is totally lopsided. Yeah. Um, but but if you look at this from a opportunity perspective, then you realize I I wrote my book thanks to those students. Yeah. And one of the things that I realized is I have all these students at my disposal. I can write pieces, test it with them, and yeah. then make sure that they're gonna work for my book. So I hope they forgive me for that. But in a way, in a way, they were my experiment, right? Of course. Um and I also have I have my percussion ensemble. So, well, I better start writing music for them mm-hmm. and try to get them published. Yeah. So, so I was just trying to look for a way to turn a challenging situation into an opportunity for me to grow and make sure that my portfolio was as as complete as possible. Yeah. You know, smart of you to to look for places where you could that you were honest about. Okay, if if. I clearly, there's clearly something I can, I can adjust now yeah. and it may lead into something that becomes more permanent. Yeah. I, and, and again, it's, it's just realizing that you need those opportunities and that experience. And, uh, and I think this is, this is, this is the nature of our careers. Yeah. You have to be proactive. You have to be creative. You have to find ways to work around things and challenges 
because that's that's when that's when that's what's going to make the difference between you succeeding or not. Oftentimes, because I don't think there's such thing as a perfect job. All jobs have their pros and cons, right. mm-hmm. and so it's just a matter of how you adapt to it and how you grow and 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 find ways to create opportunities or turn things into uh, from a challenging situation into an opportunity. Right. Out of which you can grow and advance and learn and and get better. Yeah, hundred percent, totally, totally agree with that. That's awesome. All right, Juan, I finish up with a segment called Random Ask Questions. Mm-hmm. Last element. Um, so, first question is: I think you've kind of alluded to this, but I'm still going to ask it. Which is an issue in percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts. Trying to get me in trouble, so I guess this is <laughs> an important. No, I pulled out the mallet. Yes, I will, I will. I will answer the question as best as I can. Okay, I think it connects to what I'm proposing in my clinic, which is sure. um, kind of um, introducing, maybe not even introducing. It's like um, I don't know, uh, sharing uh, another way of looking at at, at percussion keyboards mm-hmm. and another way of uh, integrating information. I think my my only concern is sometimes I see students who are in, incredibly technically proficient, but musically speaking, there is a gap. Like again, I, I ask them what's the tonality of this piece or how the composer is moving from one key to another, and they're looking at me like I'm speaking in, in Greek right. or something. And uh, and that's information that they're learning in the class in the, in the classroom. So I think we we have to find a way to make sure that our students are not only technically proficient, but musically proficient. And what I mean by that is that they have the harmonic and and theoretical knowledge, uh, hands-on information on the instrument that will help them to make better informed decisions about their phrasing, Mm -hmm. their tone and touch. I mean, my tone, uh, the way I teach sound production is purely based on harmonies. Because yeah. you have four notes, but they don't on, on a chord, but they don't function the same. Right. One is more important than the other. So how you voice that volume-wise? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to have the touch to be able to do that. And uh, if not, when you play polyphonic music like Bach, yeah. then you don't have the touch to bring the voices and to 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 like highlight this is the melody, this mm-hmm. is the kind of melody, this is the tension, this is a resolution, because you never took the time to connect that theory information. So I think I think it's uh, it's important to emphasize that the, the theory aspect, um, and I think uh, perhaps the other thing is um, challenge students to find find kind of their own ways and their own identity through music, mm-hmm. and uh, I think sometimes we live in an era there's so much information out there that we sometimes are prisoner of the incredible amount of information and it's easy to get overwhelmed or to yeah. feel like you have to compete. Right. Like I have to learn this other piece because, you know, so-and-so is playing it. And he, oh, he's playing it at 300. I got to play it at 300 too. Yeah. And we get caught up into, you know, into the mechanics of things rather than what are you trying to say through the music? Yeah. Uh, and also I think it is, it, we, sometimes we allow the students to, uh, fall into the trap of perfectionism, right. which 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 is you know I, I I even ask my student what is perfection because if you can define it for me from a human perspective, yeah. then 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 let's have a conversation. Um, 
anyway, so that's kind of the way I will um, answer that question. Um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that amounts to something. No, that was uh, that was great. That was wonderful. I, I, you, I mean, I say, I mean, it's funny. Like I'm just nodding because it's like you're saying all stuff that I um, have thought about or, or completely agree with. So wonderful. Thank you. All right, next question. Take this wherever you want to go. Being a percussionist who is also uh, from Puerto Rico and is in the United States, and however you identify in that setting, and I'm just going to kind of your thoughts on on that side of of your identity. I'm a Puerto Rican, right? So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm proud of, of of being born and raised in Puerto Rico, but we are American citizens. Yes. So, mm-hmm. so I'm also an American citizen. Yes. As American as anyone who is born in New York, Texas, or any other mm-hmm. state, it's the yep. same citizenship, at yep. least on paper. Um, yes, there are some political challenges and situations, but I see myself as a Puerto Rican American citizen that is fortunate enough to, to be living in a wonderful country by uh, with wonderful people. We have some challenges to fix and overcome. But mm-hmm. uh, I think for the most part, the good uh, um, outshadows and uh, the bad. And, and, mm-hmm. and so we was so, so I'm, I'm happy and I'm grateful to live in the, in the country that I live um, and to be able to do what I do. The, you, you kind of alluded a little bit to kind of the, the, the language challenge, particularly as it, as it, as it went to, you are just adjusting to being a student that you like, you have to adjust to being a student and uh, getting used to you being more fluent, mm-hmm. right? That seems like it, it was that that take just a lot of brain energy to just kind of re- reset almost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because I mean, I, 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 I I understood most of it, right? Because yeah. I mean, we we study English, but the problem is that everybody is speaking Spanish, right? <laughs> so you 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 don't you don't practice. It, yeah. You don't practice something. You don't you don't get good at it. Um, so I arrived there, and everybody's speaking in English, and of course, the accent, you know, the the way that they they uh, enunciate and, and they pronounce certain words is like, uh, what are you trying to say? Mm-hmm. So it's just getting acclimated to to the to the phonetical sound and the way people pronounce and. And, and, and that sort of thing, and the way they connect. And of course, when you are in a, in a university, well-educated people are gonna use a more advanced vocabulary. Uh, so it takes time to also adjust to that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and the other thing is you don't wanna get, uh, you don't wanna make a fool of yourself. So there's, sure. there's a little bit of uh, intimidation slash shyness slash, I don't know, self-protective, you know, um, mm-hmm sentiment in there in which you don't feel comfortable and you want to take the time to get uh to be prepared to be able to hold a conversation and to express yeah. yourself the way you want it but i have to say that uh, at least my private teachers and i mean all of them particularly christopher ding which i it's, you know losing him is yeah. it has touched me in ways that just beyond me yeah. it was just the most wonderful thing most wonderful human being that you could have when you move to a place that is totally new to you and foreign to you, you need yeah. that kind of kindness, compassion, and and humanity. And he embodied all of those things. And of course, everybody else, but he was special. Yeah. Um, so so it was great. Yeah. To have to have him uh, around me uh, at the time. I, I will say I did not have 
it's possible we met once, you know, and, and it wasn't, but I've through, it's through like people like you and other, lots of other students that I've learned more about him. And it just seems universal that like, they just, they, they love him as a, as a person and as an educator. And it like, it just, he seemed to have combined it all. Yeah. Everything that you could ask for, for, for a mentor slash teachers slash, you know, guru, uh, I mean, uh, guru that you can knock on the door and say, hey, I'm, I'm going through these or, yeah. you know, and he will take the time to talk to you, listen to you and mentor you. And uh, so, I mean, that's that's so valuable and so important to have people like that in your yeah. life. Yeah, for sure. Great. OK, some other questions. What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? <laughs> impractical? <laughs> That's a good question. I, I I can honestly not think of anything. Gotcha. Nobody gave you a uh, while you were in Denton. Nobody gave you a Cowboys jersey that you just have for some reason, or <laughs> no, that I can think of. No, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. All right. What is a great movie, and then what is a terrible movie? Terrible in the sense of the quality, or terrible yeah, yeah. In the- or that you were just really disappointed or something. Disappointed. Ah, uh, gosh, I might have to think about that. Um, great movies. Uh, Pursuit of Happiness. It's just a oh, story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little kid at the end of the day. So E.T., the music and the story. So yeah. those are favorite movies of mine. Anything that has a, has a positive, inspiring story, mm-hmm. um, I, I identify with that. So that's why... The pursuit of happiness, mm-hmm. uh, and I can see myself through that story. You know, the struggle and the, you know, the don't give up mentality. Yeah. Horrible, disappointing movies. Uh, I, I cannot think of one. Do you have a uh, speaking of the Cowboys? Do you have a sports fandom? You mean like like a sport that I follow, or or, or a team that you are? Or... Well, I, I mean, I'm I'm a basketball guy. Oh, uh, but I. But I like the sport, so I don't have like a team okay. per se. I just like the sport itself, particularly mm-hmm. the NBA, that professional, okay. nice. you know. Uh, and I, I'm sort of a Cinderella guy. So mm-hmm. whoever is, is kind of the underdog Cinderella team that nobody thinks can win, that's the one that I'm rooting for. Yeah. Uh, I used to be back in the, this might come as a surprise, but I was a Detroit Pistons fan back oh. in the in the late 80s. You yeah, know, the, the bad boys. The bad yeah. boys. Yeah. Uh, I just love, and it was because, no, because of uh, uh, Thomas or it was because of Joe Dumas. To me, he was one of the best, you know, uh, two guards yeah. in NBA. I love the way he played, you know, everything, both sides of the ball. So I, I to me, he was one of my favorite players. Yeah. Yeah, the, he is. He's a Finals MVP, and yeah, I mean, great, great all-around player who doesn't get mentioned or credit as much. Everybody thinks of of uh, it's, uh, Isaiah for yeah. obvious reason, and and uh, and uh, Rodman and the other guys, right? But I think he was th- an important ingredient in there. Oh, yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah, but no, I don't but- have. I don't really have a team that I identify myself with. Gotcha. Well, I was going to, you've got, it's interesting because you, when you were in um, the Dallas area, the Mavericks won the title. Yeah. And, so it's and, like, and, you, that must have been fun, I hope, or maybe it well, wasn't because you're not a well, Dallas fan. Well, it was, it was 
it was great in, in the sense that, of course, it's the team of the city in which I was living at, but also one of the players was from Puerto Rico, J.J. Barea. Oh, Barea, right, yes. All right, so so it was great to see. So it was that was one of the few times that I would wear a jersey of a team or whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, because uh, it was great. You know, everybody in the city was excited about having the, the, the memories. Yeah. Uh, and the finals, because I wasn't living in Dallas when they went to the finals, but ended up losing to Miami, you know, six. Yeah, oh, right. Was, yes. Which which was ca- a total catastrophe. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, we revenged that whole thing in, in, the, yeah. in 2011. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the other part of this, obviously, is that the school, I mean, you're at a, you're at a school that basketball, college, the men's basketball team and women's too, but just like basketball is the thing there. Yeah, this is this is basketball land. Yes, this is by all means. But you see, I'm not I'm I'm not too invested into the college sport. Gotcha. Of course, living here, so I have become somewhat of a fan. Yeah, yeah. Of the team, but I'm not the, the sport that I follow is the the NBA. That's gotcha. that's the that's you know, and baseball during the World Series. So yeah. so starting starting tomorrow, I will I will watch the games. Right. But that, but that's it. You, that's your. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not like a hardcore fan that watches yeah. regular season games and that sort of thing. Yeah. No, I, I got you. Cool. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? Cuba. Hmm. I would love to go to Cuba. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, it might come as a surprise because Cuba is very similar to Puerto Rico. But there's so much tradition, especially in regards to this folkloric drumming tradition that we, yeah. at least, I don't, I'm, I don't know the. I mean, it's so diverse, so deep, and so rich mm-hmm. that it will be wonderful. And of course, Africa too. I would love to go to Africa. So that's where everything comes from. So, right. So from a from a selfish percussion standpoint. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's. I mean, I guess it's. It's only. It's. I think it's it's the surprise of closeness more than any like that's that's yeah, the only surprise. Um, no, that's yeah. Cool. I mean, I, I, there are other places that there's places in Europe that I have not visited yet that I would like to, but I don't have any in particular that I that I'm dying to go per se. Mm. Um, no, yeah. uh, uh, that that would be well. I guess you know, uh, Africa, not Europe, but you know that yeah, continent. Yeah. That I would love to be there and to experience the culture and. Uh, to go and play the balafon. I have done that, but I have done it uh, when I went to Italy. There were some uh, African foreigners who will be in, in Rome playing balafon. So I will, you know, go to them and, and, and play with them. And it was mm-hmm. fun. But I would like to go to, you know, to Africa, experience the culture and the, and the music and, you know, take the time to kind of appreciate where everything comes from. Gotcha. So we've we've been talking a lot about, and you're talking about how you've it's been kind of music in, in so many ways. But what's a non-music related goal that you still have for your life? Buying a house in Puerto Rico. Oh, all right. So I don't own a house there. So okay, that would be that would be one non-music related. Yeah. Goal that I would like to do. Yeah. Oh, that wow. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. How often do you go back? Oh, I go. I go fairly often. I okay. mean, I go at least two or three times a year, okay. and I stay in my in my parents' house. Sure. Uh, but I would like to buy a place up in the mountains, mm-hmm. build my 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 studio there, and uh, just you know be there. 
Nice. That 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 sounds awesome. Another question: What's a favorite book? I'd say the Bible. I'm I'm, I'm a Christian, so. But um, besides that, books that I that I there's a book called The uh, Arts of Possibilities. Mm, okay. I love. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the books? Um, what is this guy who walked the Twin Towers? Uh, he also wrote a book about creativity. It's a great yes. book. I love it. Uh, uh, Philippe. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I can't. That, I know that, who you're about. That book is great. Oh, uh, awesome! Again, this whole idea of being creative and mm-hmm. and, and 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 resourceful. I, I, you know, I think it's a it's a great read, and I, there's a lot of things in there that you can apply uh, as a musician and and just in life uh, in general. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, uh, there's probably some other books. I just, I can't think of it. Sure. Um, You've been involved in so many and you, you are knowledgeable of so many different styles. Do you have a favorite or a go-to karaoke song? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Uh, and I'm not a big fan of the whole karaoke thing. Too. Oh, you are sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, I don't have, no. Um, <laughs> have you ever done um, it? Curiously, no, <laughs> no, no. Uh, like like I said, I'm not a big fan of it. Oh, I gotcha. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, um, a couple more strangest uh, or funniest performance moment that involves you. I mean, these are great questions. I just, I'm not sure at the moment I have. I'm, I'm gosh, I'm sure there are. Well, okay, I share you one that comes sure. to mind. You're probably familiar with this group, uh, Snarky Poppy, right? Oh, yeah, yep. So the bass player, we went to school together, mm-hmm. uh, and he used to play my salsa band. My wife is a singer. Okay, awesome. So we had a salsa band, and we used to perform steady every weekend at this nightclub in, in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And one night, uh, I called him um, to play with us, and... Um, we have some, some of the tunes were fairly complicated, you know, mm-hmm. to side read. So we start playing this tune and some, it has this syncopated bass line and he starts playing the line in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, and it was so bad that, that you could see the people in the dance floor slowly, one at a time, stopping and looking at the bass line <laughs> like, are you guys drunk or something? <laughs> I, I hope... Mike, I hope you don't. You won't listen to this. <laughs> I hope you don't. It's just the only thing that I, that comes to mind uh, right away. I mean, it was funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because the reaction, of course, it wasn't funny for him, sure, uh, or for me at the moment. But then just thinking at it, just looking at the reaction of the people, it was kind of hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Seeing people stop because they couldn't. It's like, what's going on here? Right. You we know? can't dance anymore. Yeah, we can dance anymore. Uh, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> Uh, so that was that was a, a, a funny moment uh, yeah. that I can think of. I'm sure there's many others. I just uh, yeah. can't remember them. Uh, I mean, I, I, everything that you can think of has happened to me. I'm sure. Yeah. I I, I mean, from uh, the only thing that well, actually, when I went, I, I when I did, um, I went to Europe to to uh, to participate in a competition, and mm-hmm. I guess because of the jag lag, I played my first piece, my second, and then the third one. It was like my brain shot down, and I had to stop playing because I it was all black. I couldn't remember my name. <laughs> right. <either>. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
So, and then the funny thing is, uh, I remember one of the judges says, okay, can you play the next piece? And I was able to play the next piece. <laughs> so it was one of those weird things that I was like, what happened to my brain right. at that point? Uh, I hated it because obviously I got eliminated right away after that. Sure, yeah. But that, So I, everything that you can think of, um, I have played concerts in which a stick breaks in the middle of a tune and it's like I'm grabbing and trying to find something on my back because I, yeah. I cannot stop. Right. Um, so you know, missing notes um, that happens. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's part of the part of the game. Sure. Um, yeah. So I mean, it's at the end of the day, music you're supposed to enjoy it. So sure. Yeah. Um, and 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 the funny thing is that sometimes you think that you didn't have a great performance, and then when you go and talk to people, everybody has a total different right. perception and recollection of the concert than what you have. Yeah. And I, I'm always kind of surprised by that. Yeah. Yeah, because you're like, didn't you hear me in measure 56 just with like, yeah, I yeah, play or, that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, whatever. They were like, oh, that was great. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was great. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, right. Yeah. I need to just accept that. Like, I, 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 I take, I take it for what it is. Great. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. But man, it's hard. You, and then you're just like, God, oh, stop. yeah. I mean, <laughs> of course. I mean, you hate yourself for a good while. Right. Then you realize, well, what the heck? I mean, it's it's, it's just it's life. You got to move on. Yeah. And, and 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 the show must go on. So you got to keep keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just I mean I cannot think of any funny moments. I'm sure that I'm sure that I'm dry, when I, when I, when I, when we finish and I start driving home, I will remember the worst movie. I will remember uh, any any kind of uh, weird uh, clothing thing sure. that I wear, and, and I will remember a funny story, but not now. You'll open your closet and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I forget about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure that I will remember uh, all fine. of those things. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. All right. Uh, one last question. What one piece of art could be any any art form at all, music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube, uh, visual art, anything, poetry has impacted you the most recently and whatever, however recent is up to you. Outside of music or music? It can, it can be music, but it can be an art form outside of music. It's a record by a, a Puerto Rican saxophone player, Miguel Senon. Okay. It's one of his later records. And I mean, I, I, I can't remember how many times I have listened to that record uh, because the, the, the writing is amazing. The, the, the ensemble playing is great. And, and the one thing, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of, of people's sound. I mean, I'm not so, I mean, I'm impressed by, by someone's ability to, to improvise. But the one thing that captivates me the most about our musicians is the sound. Yeah. If you have a sound that I can connect to that draws me, that makes me move, that gives me chills, that made me cry, that made me jump uh, of joy, then I'm, I'm your fan. You got me. And, and, and there's no way that you will get rid of me. Uh, and he has that. He has that uh, sound that is just warm, deep, and, 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 and there's so much emotion to it on every single note. Um, so that grabs me immediately. And what is one of the things that, that I recently listened to that impacted me? Such a pleasure getting to chat with Juan here and to meet up with him at PASIC. 
I wish him all of the best in his future endeavors and look forward to seeing where his career moves along and maybe we'll get to play together one day. Who knows? But that would be awesome. This week's rave are the people I chatted with at PASIC. Because there were a lot. One of the great things about being at PASIC and it being in person are the random in the hallway and in the audience encounters with so many folks. I very much enjoy flagging folks down, particularly those that I had never met before in person and because we weren't at PASIC last year. That was so much fun and very enjoyable, specifically when we'd both realize who we were even talking to. I really enjoyed putting together my PASIC selfies that I do every year on my Facebook feed, along with all of the other random encounters that occur throughout. But this rave is mostly a thank you. Thank you to all the folks who've been on the show and gracious with their time. Thank you for all the incredible stories people have told on the show. And most importantly, to me, thank you for the praises of the show. This podcast is a solo project, and it's a lot of work, but work that I very much enjoy. But it's also very much done in solitude. So it was delightful that so many folks during the convention stopped by to thank me for the interview experience, the questions I ask, and to say that they love the show and for me to keep it going, which I plan to do. But those comments mean the world to me. And I'm thrilled that those of you who have been on the show have been cheerleaders for the show and have told friends about it and have suggested wonderful folks for me to have on the show and talk to. And I will do my best on my end to make it happen. Thank you all. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. Speaking of which, I got another rating this past week, so make it happen again. You can always find every episode and the show at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at petesperkpod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time for more of my full interviews with guests from this past PASIC. Until then.